in this environment, it's about volume, speed, and quality. Mm. Like those are the checkpoints, right? So volume, how much content can you pump into the social media ecosystem every single day, every single week, every single month? The person who checks the volume box is going to be better than the person that only checks the quality box, right? If I can pump out 20 pieces of content to your one piece of content, I don't care how bad the 20 pieces of content is, I'm going to be more known than you are if you make a great piece of content. Take if we both start off. from scratch. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's just the reality, right? Number 2, can you do volume and quality? Right? Cuz if you can do a lot of quality, a lot of content at a decent quality, then now you're better than the next person. And then 3, how fast can you kick it out? Right, like if you can create a lot of content and you can do it quick and it's quality, then you win the game. Like that is the game. Like that's the checkmate when it comes to content creation. What up, though, Black Friday family? Welcome back to another installment of the Black Fridays podcast. And we have a very special guest in the building because, ironically enough, we are in his podcasting space <laughs> that he dedicated the lab podcast room at Bamboo Detroit. In the building yes, is none other than Robert Courtney. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate the invite. Hello to the guests watching. Appreciate you having me. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So some of the things that you work on, some of the projects or titles that you have, you know, that you're a speaker, an entrepreneur, a creator of uh, CreatorCon, which we'll get into in a little bit, and wanted to ask, I ask all of my guests to introduce themselves as how you would want people, what you want people to know about you, how you would want them to perceive you, if you can invite us into your world of who Robert Courtney is. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh First of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. Um, you're doing some great work. Thank you for using the Lab Podcast Room. We're trying to bring more exposure to that. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Courtney is an individual who, at my core, I really just want to see other people win. Like, I thrive on creating success for other people. And the reality is, just wanting to see other people win don't pay the bills right so you know we have to put that into some type of framework that produces revenue for me to um, stay afloat pay our bills pay my people but at the end of the day if i could do it all for free i absolutely would um the adrenaline that comes from helping a person either come to terms with who they are and what they want their brand to be the idea of taking an idea from scratch and then turning that into you know a fire concept or a brand that generates revenue so that they can take care of their families like those are the things that i get extremely excited about down to the level of a homeless person walking down the street that i can give 20 dollars to and the joy that comes over them because someone took from themselves to help them out and I'm a complete stranger like it's just the idea that you take somebody's current state and you improve it is really what um, drives me every single day so you know I think I'm a business person I'm a very competitive individual um, I want to win but I, I balance that with 
an extreme amount of humility and love and compassion for just other humans, you know, so that's me. Most definitely. And speaking of that, Robert Courtney and Associates is your business. And so could you tell us about the services that you all provide and how did that come about? Yep, absolutely. So Robert Courtney and Associates is my social media marketing agency. That company helps brands of all sizes create awareness and build strategy that drives new business and um, helps them expand their business. I arrived there because the businesses that I had prior to Robert Corey and Associates was built 100% on the back of social media strategy, primarily Facebook. And so in 2009, I launched a clothing brand called Unique Collection, which was a lifestyle brand that was primarily based on streetwear apparel. Um, we used really only Facebook and Twitter to bring attention to that brand. And we were able to grow that brand significantly through um, through that avenue. Fast forward, what happened was a lot of people wanted to understand how we were able to only use Facebook to accomplish some of the things that we did. And so we found ourselves in numerous conversations explaining to people how to build Facebook pages, how to set up shops on Facebook and Instagram, how to create um, connections and build funnels and do a lot of things that people needed early on in order to um, generate revenue for themselves. Mm -hmm. So much so to the point to where it was taking our time away from what we were doing to build our unique collection brand. And so um, me and my partner, Kirk McClung, he, uh, he's based in LA, we made the decision to divide and conquer, if you will. And I had a real love for the marketing aspect. Um, in our dynamic, it was always, Kirk was more of the, the talker, the connector. We both play similar roles, but in this dynamic, he was more of the person who created the conversation. And then I was more of the person who executed things behind the scenes. Um, and so I, I was 100% in on building an, an agency that could help other people and other brands um, create their marketing strategies. And he was 100% on, you know, I want, I want to take unique to the highest level possible. Mm -hmm. And so he currently runs that. Um, we primarily operate um, through a wholesale deal with Fashion Nova. So we are we're Fashion Nova's number two or three um, women's streetwear category vendor. Um, and so that's a fully automated scenario that doesn't require much physical work. He oversees the operation. We have fulfillment centers that make that work. Um, and then I run our agency that's based here at out of bamboo um, where we manage brands like murray's hair pomade um, we work with national geographic we work with dale computers um the state of california really big in companies but then we also work with like brokerages and personal brands insurance companies um schools um different just a very versatile uh um, clientele in a lot of different industries to help them 
basically accomplish the same thing, understand social media better mm -hmm. and how to leverage it um, for their ultimate success. Mm -hmm. So I have a follow-up question with you. So knowing that you work with Murray's Pomade, how have you not recreated the Soul Glow commercial from <laughs> coming to America? <laughs> hey, listen, they are... It's a wonderful company, mm -hmm. and they are constantly looking for new ideas. Mm -hmm. The problem, not the problem, the reality is Murray's is really known for their orange can. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a product that um, is a staple inside of a lot of black families, African-American families. But the reality is Murray's is a global brand that's mm -hmm. used in so many different ways by mm -hmm. so many different nationalities and ethnicities. And so um, as the marketer and as the social media agency that has been hired to help cr with the creative, the issue is constantly doing things that appeal to a wide variety of backgrounds, mm -hmm. right? So while the Soul Glow commercial may connect with you, right. The, the German family who also uses Murray's for pomp pompadours mm -hmm. will have no idea like what we're doing or why we're creating that type of content. Right. No, so it's always just about like finding a balance to speak to a wide variety of audiences. And uh, it's something that we're, we continuously work on every day. Like mm -hmm. there's no, and there's, we're not the only people involved in those creative meetings. Like they have, we run social, but they mm -hmm. have so many other marketing categories that other teams are responsible for. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a collective type of uh, conversation to arrive to certain um, plans and strategies. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I want to see the Soul Glow <laughs> stuff too. <laughs> That's a part of my childhood memory yeah. of Murray's. So, And how big is your team? Uh, we have six like full-time account execs. I have a project manager that's like my right arm. Mm -hmm. um, but then I outsource and um, use a ton of contractors and freelancers, probably over 20 plus content creators and freelancers that help us kind of move the needle um, on, a, on a monthly basis. And Mark, our framework for our company is different than you know, most conventional agencies, we work on like a month to month uh, model. Mm -hmm. And so our clients basically decide to keep us on board every single month, which is an interesting space to be in. And it, it scares a lot of people. It's like, you don't know whether you're getting paid. Mm -hmm. It's like, we believe in our work so much. You know, we believe we impact um, the the brands that we help build so much to where it's not even a thought, like we're not worried about that. And then like, at the end of the day, if you decide that we're not a good fit no more, I'd rather you have the flexibility to say, I'm walking away or this isn't the right thing for me versus being in a relationship that you don't really want to be in in mm -hmm. the first place. You know, so I try to move with the current. I try to put out content and do things that attract the right clientele. Um, the people that's for me is for me and the rest of the people like I wish them the best like it's nothing wrong with not choosing us like I'm I'm completely fine with that so um, yeah we uh we're a smaller team but you know we accomplish a lot with the with the team that we have absolutely and I think that being able to adopt that business model 
provides uh, a lot of assurance in terms of adopting your services, depending on the type of business that you work with. Because yeah. I know that you said you work with local brands as well. They may not be as big. So if you have that flexibility to Correct. be able to bring on someone like yourself and your company and your services on a month-to-month basis to see, hey, how's this working? Because, you know, I was listening to a podcast earlier or yesterday that talked about how, you know, you have so many cash dumps. Yeah. And how can you make sure that you whoever you're working with is driving impact for each other yeah. you have collective impact versus you know like you said being in a relationship or partnership business-wise that's just not working out yeah i mean as as small businesses because you're actually considered a small business until you're generating more than two million dollars mm-hmm. right yeah. so most of um, us are small businesses from like a financial standpoint and being a small business every move that you make is important right and you have to define what's important to you or what's important to me um to make that decision and for me it's about peace of mind it's about flexibility it's about strong relationships it's quality over quantity um i probably could have doubled and tripled my um bottom line multiple times but I would much rather operate in the space of peace and quality versus a ton of money, but I'm running around with, like a chicken with my head cut off or, you know, I'm losing um, the connection and the relationships that I, that I have with my team, with the clients that we work with. You know, so for me, I rather, we talked about earlier, the slow burn mm-hmm. of letting it evolve and grow into what it's going to grow into. I am in absolutely no rush. Like I cherish every minute of every single day. I feel no pressure, you know, to perform. Um, I only feel the need and the desire to do more of the things that I love, Mm -hmm. you know, and when it turns to pressure or when it turns into how much am I getting paid? Is this worth the money that's coming in? Then that's my first sign that this isn't the right situation. You know, like I need to either change the dynamic of this relationship slowly part ways with this particular relationship but if we're stressing each other out or i'm constantly looking at the dollars and is the dollars worth the amount of work or energy that we're putting into this then something's wrong with that dynamic and now i have to figure out what that is and then fix it the best way i can that's powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. So I want to dive more into the business background and aspects, but I got to interrupt this part of the interview for my favorite part of Black Fridays, which is Freestyle Fridays. Oh. Okay. So, Robert, I hope you got some bars for us. Uh, I don't know if you're a poet, a rapper, however you want to oh, do it. Oh, man, sing it. I love it. See, I don't, <laughs> I don't usually get uncomfortable in these interviews, but you you might you might actually push me there. <laughs> so, there's no rapping that you need to do, but okay, it cool. is rapid fire questions. They're all about you, so you right, shouldn't bet. get them wrong. Bet. And then uh, I just ask that you answer every question and you answer honestly. Got it. All I right. don't know how to do anything but be honest. So. There we go. There we go. So, there should be a layup. Yeah. All right. So, what was the what is the greatest brand ever created in your opinion? Nike, hundred mm. percent. Do you want to know why? Are we absolutely? Because I was going to say somebody I asked somebody this question before and they said Jordan brand was yeah. their favorite brand, which but is Nike, a part of Nike. I was going to so, say Jordan yeah. brand is the Nike brand. Yeah, no, my reason is uh, it has a lot to do with the Jordan brand, but the Jordan brand doesn't exist if the Nike brand doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? So I think the Nike brand 
is the greatest brand ever created because it really embodies what the idea of a brand is. For me, a brand is an emotional connection established with the customer that makes the customer feel a certain way, whether that brand is present or not, right? So when I think about Nike, does it give me a feeling, right? And I think Nike was the first brand to successfully do that. Um, they, they did it so well to where people really believed when they bought Michael Jordan shoes that they would be able to fly mm -hmm. or it would make them play better. I'm mm -hmm. gonna play better if I'm wearing Nike brand versus where I'm wearing Adidas brand or any other brand, right? And even now, we just identify Nike with quality, mm -hmm. you know, or, or a standard of excellence. And that's the game, like that's what branding is. Like, can, do I make you feel a certain way when you think about me? And if the answer is yes, I've successfully created a brand, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think Nike was the blueprint. Um, it's the reason I got into branding, you know, it's the Michael Jordan story and how um, the Jordan brand came to fruition is in my mind, the greatest story ever told, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and when it comes to marketing, it's the foundation of why I am a marketer. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. And uh, my controversial take on Jordan is, uh, you know, I. I like to tease my friends who are big Michael Jordan fans and say, I don't know about him being the greatest basketball player of all time, which he probably is. But because um, LeBron, he, he's the, um, not necessarily. Okay. But yeah, I just, I'm a Pistons. <laughs> I'm diehard Pistons fan. Well, so, then there, yeah. there, there's the basis for the for the controversy. Yeah, take. <laughs> yeah, I'm extremely biased. Okay. Very biased on that one. <laughs> but um, I, he's definitely the greatest marketed athlete of all time. Oh, without question. Yeah. Like he he created he created the paradigm shift for how marketing is done when it comes to athletes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't, I think that one is not for debate. Right. Like I think anybody who has any type of common sense would agree with that statement <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Speaking of basketball, I saw that you coach basketball or still coach basketball. Did you, did you grow up hooping? I did. Yep. I, I loved basketball before I loved anything like basketball was without question. The first thing I fell in love with, um, Michael Jordan, 1987, all-star uh, slam dunk contest and all-star game was like the moment I fell in love with the sport. And um, it's grown and grown ever since. Um, I eat, sleep. I have ate, slept, and breathed basketball my entire life. Um, around, I would say, maybe 10 years ago, I finally realized that I had officially replaced basketball, my love for basketball with my love for business. Mm. And it was an amazing feeling because if you, I don't know if you have something that you love like on that level, but when you fall in love with anything, it's like when that thing get removed from your life, it's like a void. Like you feel like something's missing and it can create depression, it can lead to anxiety, like it can really, um, it can really create life challenges that's unanticipated. Like if you think about an athlete who retires from a sport, um, a lot of times they'll end up coming back to the sport and it's really because they created a void that they're struggling to fill 
And the only thing that brings that love or that feeling back is if they go back to playing that sport. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they'll come back and play when they're shelling themselves or they probably shouldn't be playing, but it's like, like I'm addicted to it. Like it's nothing I can replace that feeling with. And so um, when I was able to identify my love for building brands and helping people and realizing that I loved this just as much as I loved basketball, it was like the greatest revelation ever. And um, you know, that's the, the only reason that I, I'm not more involved in basketball related things mm -hmm. but i do coach the game my son loves the game i coach him he's only 12 so i'll be around the game for a long time and i do eventually see some type of re retirement scenario from my entrepreneurship and my businesses mm -hmm. to where i'm probably spending 80 percent of my time coaching him coaching players coaching teams in some capacity but um, I'm not even thinking about that yet. Like yeah. I'm still trying to build the biggest social media agency in Michigan. Right. So. For sure. Yeah. And aside from branding and business, aside from basketball, do you have an interest or a hobby that people may not necessarily know that you're interested in? Um, I have so many interests and hobbies. Uh, one of my biggest interests is I'm a Jordan 1 collector. Mm. And so a lot of people might know that though, cause if they're on my content, like they see me in Jordan ones all the time. I have almost a hundred pairs um, of just of, ones, of just ones. Wow. no other Jordans, just ones, um, different colorways. Um, and I have about six new pairs like on the way so that <laughs> that number is going to be even higher really soon. Um, so that's kind of known. I wouldn't say that's necessarily like something that people don't know about. Uh, besides that, I have probably 250 Jordan basketball cards mm -hmm. that I've collected over the years. I never talk about. Um, one thing that I've never said in any interview or podcast is that my reason for collecting my Jordans was because I had the Jordan card collection. Mm -hmm. So my plan is to build these capsules that included a pair of Jordan shoes and then a card together and I just felt like people would pay top dollar for an old car and a retro pair of Jordans yeah. inside like a, a, a glass or, or plastic capsule and so I still plan on doing that but I needed to get my Jordan game up mm -hmm. and so I spent the last two years getting my Jordans up and then now I'll start pairing the cards you know so I have these cards I have Jordan wearing like all these different shoes mm -hmm. so it's like what if I'm matching like the colorways of the shoes with the car, like I just mm -hmm. think it would be a fire combination. I've never said that out loud. Mm -hmm. Like it's only been like an internal behind the scenes thought. But um hopefully I don't give that idea away <laughs> and somebody go try to do the same thing. What well, a good thing is you got a head start. I was saying yeah. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like it's literally just putting it together and slapping it on eBay or one of these different sites and letting people bid and see what they're willing to pay for that. Cause I don't mm -hmm. even know what that price point looks like. But I know I can get three hundred and up for all of my shoes mm -hmm. as a starting point. So if I add a card in there that's worth, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Game changer. Yeah, but like, I mean, I, if you do the math, a, a hundred pair of shoes at- 300 you know, pop. About shoe, no, that's just for the shoes. Yeah. We're talking about five, <laughs> seven, eight hundred dollars a pop uh -huh. at minimum. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do the math on that. 
So get your into his retirement plan. Yeah, yep. It could be. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I love that. I love yep. that. So thank you for engaging in yeah, Freestyle sure. Fridays for and sure. uh, the randomness. And I wanted to, as far as getting back into the business type questions. So we're sitting in the lab, the lab podcast room at Bamboo. Want to know how did this podcast space come about, and like why a podcasting space? I know you're a member here yep. at Bamboo, have been for uh, for years, and so wanted to know how did this all coming to fruition? Um, so, you know, as a as a social media agency, we understand how important podcasts have become um, as a part of a strategy, also as a part of uh, allowing people to openly ex- express themselves. A lot of times it's just tough getting content depending on what industry you're in. So if you can create a conversational format, a lot of times it makes pulling content a lot easier. And that's like the biggest advantage I feel. The biggest reason that everyone needs a if you have a business you need a podcast or you should consider some type of podcast format um, because you can talk freely about your company and then pull those ideas to help you with the content that you're going to make for your brand so um, we've dabbled in so many different podcast setups renting podcast space um trying to create podcasts for ourselves, And finally, I was like, all right, we need a permanent setup. So I went to the owner of uh, Bamboo, Amanda, who was an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And I basically said, hey, listen, I'm at a crossroads. I need to bring in some type of podcast scenario, but my space don't really allow for it. Um, I can't go much bigger uh, because your prices are a little outside of my budget, but at the same time, I want to stay at Bamboo. I don't want to leave Bamboo. And this was like maybe a year ago, like this was a while ago. And uh, she said, "Well, let's you know, let's experiment. Let's talk about some ideas. Um, if you propose some things, maybe there's some things that we can do creatively to make it work." And so we started throwing around ideas, and then I presented this idea of what if we, what if we built a podcast room here? How can we? use that but then also make it available for other members and um she went dark for a while (laughs) i didn't hear from her for a while you know i'm like about to occupy two spaces (laughs) and then she came back was like you know what like let's do it we love to see you know how you can build it out we don't know much about it but like we need something something simple because the other issue is how do we build a podcast room where you're using all your equipment and then you're letting other people use that and you don't know if they're going to take care of it or Mm -hmm. whatever and so we did some research and, and played around with some different equipment. And then we finally came to this where it's like, if you're gonna video and and actually grab the content, then you gotta provide that. But we're gonna provide at least the setup, the mics, um, a device that can capture the audio, and then you could take that audio and use it for whatever you need to. And sh- they love that idea. Mm-hmm. So um, this has been in existence for a few months. It's been going really well. The plan is to do a second one in the other bamboo location, Royal Oak. That'll probably be an extension of our yellow room, which um, just so you guys know, the yellow room is my self-help. It's it's my forum to create self-guided instruction on how to create better content Mm. and so we do a yellow room content challenge every single year in july and we bring all these people into the yellow room which is technically a facebook group and inside the facebook group 
I give very intentional advice and instruction on new content, uncomfortable content, trending content, and then we bring in experts and speakers and individuals to help you understand tools to help you create content better. And I want the Bamboo or Roy Woke location to be painted yellow, to be like a visual, um, physical location for the yellow room, so to speak, mm. to have a podcast set up, um, a backdrop to do a quick picture, um, and things like that. And if you become, if you go into the content challenge, you'll get free access to the yellow room as long as you schedule it in advance Got for you. the for the month of July every year. So that's kind of like the the proposal that's out there. She's went dark again, <laughs> but I'm sure she's deliberating with her team, yeah. and then she'll come back and we'll get the ball rolling. So for sure, we're gonna use yeah. this as, as collateral. Yeah, there, the, you there you go. There you go. Make sure you tag Bamboo and, yeah, and Amanda. Yeah, tag Bamboo and Amanda for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you for thinking of the concept because literally. The day I so I work like a block away when okay. I come down to the office and literally the day that they sent that email and said, hey, we have a podcast room. I packed up my stuff and I <laughs> literally right ran, ran, ran right over here and it was closing like five minutes or so. But um, shout out to Malika. She was at the front and she was still willing to give me a tour and nice. let me can, come in here and see everything. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Because like you and your team before going around different locations, renting spaces and things like that, yeah. um, I was like, this is the exact type of setup that would be useful for me and the type of content that, that I'm trying to push out. So Dope. I'm glad that y'all even had that inception of that thought and then being able to have a conversation with the folks at Bamboo and Amanda and the team to get this going. And I think that it provides a lot of value because of how straightforward and simple as terms of the concept of being able to come in here and plug and go right. and then create your content, be yourself, let your personality kind of lead you. And then you don't necessarily have to worry about all the technical yes. aspects that, that come with it. Yep, absolutely. Um, they do, Amanda and her team, do a good job of communicating what's happening with Bamboo, you know, and the things that's available. And, um, you know, I think this room is kind of an extension of that. And she had, from what I understand, a lot of people inquiring about um, Bamboo creating a podcast room, mm -hmm. you know, so it was like, it's kind of a match made in heaven. You know, the, the timing just lined up perfectly. She had a, a, a company here already that could easily bring that vision to life and uh we were happy to do it so thousand percent <clears throat> excuse me and staying in that creative bag i got to know about creator con because i was hurt i wasn't able to join the first one in 2022 and i got to know the story behind it because you had hundreds of folks creators in their own right yep. but also high profile people who have quality content been doing their thing for years in different spaces uh, i believe that jamel hill was a headliner for that yep. so i wanted to know how did creator con come about and what's the story behind that so creator con was a brainchild based on my idea and understanding of where we are in the digital space at the moment and what the big platforms are trying to do. And what that is for us is make us understand and realize that anyone that wants to use the internet or social media to be specific um, to generate business is a creator. Mm -hmm. And they've done a lot to kind of push that message forward subliminally. If you look at your profiles now, it says digital creator. 
Um, that's all they see you as. I don't care if you're in real estate, insurance, hospitality, don't matter what field you're in, you are a creator if you are using the internet to put content on it to drive business for your brand. Like that's the reality. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it creates a commonality between all these different industries. We're connected because we are both trying to create content so that people know who we are, so that we generate more leads, so that we create awareness for ourselves, or whatever your objective is. Mm -hmm. And um, that was pretty much the premise behind CreatorCon. How can I bring the most important industries together in the same place at the same time to share common goals, challenges, conversations, etc.? but then also to help each other be better creators because what you're doing in hospitality may help me in insurance or mm -hmm. what you're doing in real estate may help me in education. And so um, the future of CreatorCon is a very interactive space where we bring in um, leaders, uh, experts in these different areas, different platforms, different mediums for creating and have them speak to all these people in all these different industries on how to be better creators um, with Detroit CreatorCon being kind of like the frame, the blueprint for um, getting that idea off the ground. And it's like, we're in Detroit, my relationships and connections are here. Why not at least invite the top influencers, top creators to this first one to kind of set the stage for what we'll do next. And so um, that's it in a nutshell. Um, we intend on having it in November, um, like we did last year. Uh, but the goal is to be much bigger, better, you know, so don't feel bad. You missed the first one. Cause this next one is going to be the one mm -hmm. that everyone definitely needs to be a part of. And what would you say was some of the biggest either lessons or just overall experiences that you feel like came out of this first iteration of creator kind? Um, there was a lot of less. I mean, there's always less. Like I look at literally like this podcast, like I'm learning, mm -hmm. right? So I'm always in a space of um, just being informed. And so for CreatorCon, the biggest takeaway was probably um, just doing a better job at communicating what CreatorCon is leading up to it. I think the 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 word creator attracted a lot of people, but right now that means something different for everyone that hears it. Right. Right. So um my goal this year actually is it started like June first we started just dropping content sending out some emails kind of start we're starting the process of building buzz and, and hype for what's getting ready to come but last year we put the entire show together in less than two months mm. and that was from zero and now we're not at zero like we're you know obviously starting with a clear kind of idea of what we want to do last year we started and we only had an idea we didn't know what it would evolve into we mm -hmm. didn't know if people that we invited would say yes uh, we didn't know if people would pay $50 for a general admission ticket you know there was a lot of like unknowns that had to be established um, but communication as to what it is um, the day of the week was another thing like I have this vision of getting Detroiters to understand that major conferences are typically weekday events mm -hmm. that happen on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday, and they're usually like nine to four, nine to five in any other place. Um, 
we see that as an issue because we are a very nine to five driven economy here. Right. So it's like to take off, it needs to really be worth it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're faced with this kind of fork in a row. Do we create our own um, idea of what a conference is based on Detroiters and how we move? Or do we try to force people to understand that if this is something you really want, you're going to make the adjustments in your schedule to be there? Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's something that we're still currently kind of battling. Um, we could do it on a Saturday and uh, kind of do the same thing, or we can keep it on a weekday. Should it be a one-day conference? Should it be a two-day conference? This year we did 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night um, because I don't think Detroiters want to come to two days, right? Right. But that's very common. It's a very typical setting to have a two-day conference about something that has so many different aspects to it. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of uh, things that we, we've learned, things that we're learning but um, I enjoy all of it. Like I get a real kick out of navigating um, what the best course of direction is for the event. And I do think when it's all said and done over the next five years, CreatorCon will be looked at as the premier um, creator conference or digital conference or, or marketing conference in the Midwest, mm. like without question, so. Fire, fire. And I'm going to make sure that I don't repeat the same mistake from last year and making sure that I do my best to be there <laughs> for sure for the next one, especially sure. if you're saying it's going to be bigger and better. Oh, 1,000%. Love it, love yeah. it. And as far as creators go, for people who are trying to see if I can get some free game for myself and the audience, as far as people who may be in their head about creating content for their brand, I know you, I'm sure you know a lot of different small business owners, people just getting started off the ground, but may not be willing to go the extra mile to create content because they feel like, well, I'm not going to get on TikTok and do all these weird dances, or I'm not going to, I'm not a graphic designer, whatever limitations they feel like they have. Do you have any tips? maybe like three to five tips that will help them kind of get out of their own way in order to start creating not only content in general, but quality content that's going to gain some traction for them. Yep. I got five. Right. So the first thing is concentration, right? So concentration is the first most necessary step. What concentration is the small business owner, the individual who's trying to build a plan, taking an hour, two hours, three hours on a Sunday each week and thinking about who is my audience? Who am I talking to? What issue do they have? And then how can I solve that issue? Like that has to happen. That creates clarity, right? So if you understand who you're talking to and what problem you're solving, then it helps you create a clear answer for the starting point of content, all right? The second thing is, understanding why you're using social. Social is a branding tool, it's an awareness tool, right? So creating content is about just establishing awareness for who you are so that you can start the process of building a brand, making the emotional connection, creating an idea of who you are when you're not around to say anything for yourself, okay? And then lastly, content is in this environment, it's about volume, speed and quality mm. like those are the checkpoints right so volume how much content 
can you pump into the social media ecosystem every single day, every single week, every single month? The person who checks the volume box is going to be better than the person that only checks the quality box, right? If I can pump out 20 pieces of content to your one piece of content, I don't care how bad the 20 pieces of content is, I'm going to be more known than you are if you make a great piece of content, Take if we're both start off. from scratch. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that's just the reality, right? Number two, can you do volume and quality, right? Because if you can do a lot of quality, a lot of content at a decent quality, then now you're better than the next person. And then three, how fast can you kick it out? Right, like if you can create a lot of content and you can do it quick and it's quality, then you win the game. Like that is the game. Like that's the checkmate when it comes to content creation. The other thing is entrepreneurship is just about self-belief, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the successful entrepreneur probably just believes in himself more than the next person when it all boils down to it, right? So when you're questioning your content, there's a lack of belief in your content. Right. And then that's going to cause problems as a business owner, just in general. So there has to be an evaluation of who I am, what what is the challenge of my customer and then how am I providing the solution? Right. So it all comes back full circle. If you can answer that, then that's where the confidence comes from. Right. It's like now you're shooting in the gym like you're the hooper who is just improving his skills every single day. And the more you improve on the answer, the more you have to offer the person who you're providing the solution for, the more confident you're gonna be in the type of content that you create. Mm. So that's my advice. So if y'all still not creating content after hearing this and or making better, <laughs> higher quality content, then the problem might be you. You got to reevaluate some other things. That's the other part, though. Like, I'm glad you said that. The problem is always you. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what if more people this is a life thing. This isn't just social media. Mm -hmm. If more people will point the finger at themselves, like the world becomes a much better place. Everybody want to point the finger at the circumstance, at the people connected to them, at their boss, at I'm the problem. I don't care what's going on. I don't care who it could be blamed on. Mm -hmm. I'm the problem. I'm scared. I'm insecure. I'm, I'm lazy. Like whatever. If you look at it as you are always the problem, everything changes because now you take on the responsibility of making it better. And as you take that responsibility, if you have a team that you could blame it on, if they know that they're actually guilty for whatever it is that's causing the problem, they're going to look at you and say, dang, like that was my fault. But he took responsibility for it. Mm. I like him even more. Like it creates people. People are more attracted to that perspective. You know, so. Yes, you're the problem. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> I will admit there is power in telling yourself, hey, man, you lazy. Yeah. Like, because some days, like, I just don't have it. And I'm yeah. just like, man, I ain't, I ain't got to that. I'm a lazy bum. Yep. And then, you know, next day I'm ready to get after it. Yep. Do you have the motor to fix it? Mm -hmm. And that's what it boils down to in most cases. 100%. Yep. 100%. So you gave us your pseudo retirement plan. You also told us about what's next with CreatorCon, what you would like, what's going on in the future with the, the lab podcast room and possible ex and future expansion. Want to know for you, Robert, what do you, what's next in your crystal ball? What do you kind of see on the horizon as far as next endeavors that you plan on going into? Um, my bigger macro goal is just to automate 
all of my processes. Um, I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to raise my kids. I want to coach basketball. Um, and so the way to do that for me is to create systems that give me my time back. And so like that's what we're currently in a process of doing, just really taking all of our things into an automated scenario. We're really close. Um, we're building, currently building an app that our clients will be able to subscribe to that will give them all the resources that we have historically given them um, just manually versus it being something that they can grab off of the app itself. Mm -hmm. And so we're building that out with us and my team being more in a supportive role. Um, and so that's really like my mindset, like I, around my house, I have about four whiteboards inside of my bathroom. I have, um, I have this charcoal, these charcoal markers that I can write on my shower wall and erase it off with no problem. And they all say, create enough amount of automated revenue streams so you can do whatever you want. Like that's constantly on my mind. And so um, that's where I see like over the next five years, I will get to a point to where I'm needed very seldomly, you know, along of throughout the course of the week. And if I am needed, it's something really big. Like it's a big fire that I have to put out, which I'm okay with that because that'll keep me involved. But for the most part, things will be fully automated and um, it'll help us to scale faster and generate enough revenue where I can use that money to help a lot of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. yep. And almost forgot, I wanted to ask you, what inspires you to create? I know that you had mentioned early on in life, it was Nike, Jordan brand, things like that. But present day, what do you feel like help inspires you create the work that you do? Um, I'm inspired by a lot of different things. I mean, I'm naturally, I naturally have a motor that I know came from my mom. My mom is almost 80 years old and she go harder than most 20 year, year olds. Um, and when I say go harder, like, like she just, don't get mentally burnt out like and we all hit that wall where it's just like you know we don't feel like doing more and my wall is just triple the amount of the average person and i you know i'm thankful for that like that's my gift that was given to me um but in that i'm constantly finding inspiration i can i can go to bed tonight feeling exhausted right and i can literally have a dream and wake up like I'm ready to create five new things because like I just slept and had this dream and now I'm ready to go. Inspiration comes literally from everywhere um, for me. So I don't think there's like a direct source, but obviously at the end of the day, I, I lost my wife um, in 2021 of August and we have two kids, right? And so obviously when I look in their eyeballs and know that their mom's not around, like I'm the only one left, you know, from a, a parent parental figure standpoint, then obviously like you need, there's no other motivation that's needed, you know, to keep doing what you're doing. So um, they play a big factor if I had to be like super intentional about it. But outside of that, like I draw, this conversation gives me inspiration um, to do more. Like every moment there's something that's inspiring me. That's huge. So, yeah. Yeah, that's huge, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time and coming here and sharing uh, in your podcast room, of course, but really got a lot of value from this myself. So I'm sure that everybody watching will be able to uh, as well. So absolutely. Definitely just want to thank you once again for your time and 
appreciate you stepping into Black Fridays. And everybody watching, uh, definitely check out Robert and everything that he has going on. Go check out, oh, your website, your socials. I almost forgot to ask all that. Where can people find you if they want to follow the journey? Yeah, uh, most, most of my platforms are under Robert Courtney Collins. So um, you can find me there. Uh, you can text me. 313-529-5333. Don't call me. Text me. Um, and I interact that way. It is where one way I really get a chance to nurture and connect with my community. I am completely fine with text messages. But uh, if you want to connect with me, it's super easy. So I look forward to connecting with you all. Dope. Dope. Yep. So peace out. Catch y'all next time. Peace.